Welcome to the weekly sermon podcast of St. Luke's in Oklahoma City. We are one church with multiple campuses, and under the leadership of our senior pastor, Dr. Bob Long, we are a family of faith that seeks to share God's love and bring hope to the world. We invite you now to join us for a message of hope. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, a sixth day. There, these are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. In the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, when no plant of the field was yet in the earth, and no herb of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth, and there was no man to till the ground. But a mist went up from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. This is the word of the Lord. And God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it the was Lord very is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes Fear me lie down. I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Baptizing God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. We know that in everything, God works for good with those May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or hope. I can do all things and can be strengthened. Looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Just recently, I finished reading the autobiography by Henry Winkler entitled, Being Henry, The Fawns and Beyond. Now, it's a new book. It just came out basically a couple months ago, and it's a great story about his life, about his, uh, you know, his career on stage, on television, in the movies, both in front of the camera and behind the camera. And he is widely known as an incredibly kind and generous celebrity in Hollywood. And when you read his book, it is amazing to see how that spirit within him found its way out. It's an incredible story. I highly encourage it. It's a very quick read. I think it only took me a little over a day. And so uh, it's a fun and yet very poignant read. He grew up in very harsh circumstances. And it was because his parents, uh, they were Jewish and had escaped Germany right before Hitler. And when they escaped, they were able to make it to freedom, but they left behind all of their family members who perished at the hands of the Nazis. And so maybe that deep sense of pain uh, contributed to the way they treated their youngest child. They had two, a daughter and then Henry, they were cruel to him. Um, they didn't understand why he had trouble in school. 
None of them would know that he had dyslexia. It wouldn't actually be diagnosed until he was 34 years old when one of his children was being diagnosed for it. But during his childhood, he struggled, and his parents uh, thought that harshness and punishment and discipline, taunts were going to force him to learn. In fact, they had a German nickname for him that meant dumb dog, and that's what they called him all the time. They made fun of him in front of family members, in front of strangers, and uh, just treated him horribly. And yet, out of this childhood came a person who really is very kind and generous and compassionate. There's some spark within him that early on in his life, despite how he was raised and treated, he treated others with kindness. He saw in others something in them that he didn't see in himself. In fact, most of the book really is talking about how he has struggled all of his life with his identity. Early in the book, he wrote this. Who was I really? That's always been the big question. And it's taken me 50 years to realize that there really is a me inside of me. Can't we all, you know, we can hear those words. We've lived that in some of our struggles of life. That we focus so much on what others say about us or the external part of our lives that we forget that there really is a me inside of me. We focus on what others think we should achieve or do or what kind of career, what kind of success or failure we have. And, and really, it's all about who we are inside. This morning, we're going to talk about our identity. We are starting a, a new sermon series that goes along with our year's theme, A Year in the Bible. And we are encouraging everyone to read through their Bibles because it's God's message for us. And there are so many important lessons for us in Scripture. And really, it starts off at the very beginning. The creation story is our story. It's our story of who we are because God created us. And it says very clearly, God created us in his image. We were created as God's children. And the point of that is not just for our own sakes. The, the more that we will embrace that we are children of God, it gives us far better lives. But it's for others as well. The more we recognize who we are, the more we recognize who others are. And we are called and created to be children of God, treating all others as children of God. This morning... There are three things that I want to discuss that can help us live in that way. First is to remember that our identity is given to us by God. I mean, that makes sense. We are the creation and God is the creator. Of course, God would be the one to define who we are. It's the sculptor who decides what the sculpture really means. It's the painter who decides what the painting is about. If you have a little child that brings to you a drawing that they drew, no matter what you may think it looks like, 
It's the child who really knows what it is. In fact, it's always a good practice to let the little child tell you first before you ever guess, because they're the ones who know. God is the one who knows who we are, and God has created us. We are God's children. And yet, we hear this all the time. When you read through scripture, you're going to see several indications of God being described as a loving parent, but we still struggle. And I think it has to do with our confusion over being and doing. Now, often we tell little children, you can be whatever you want to be. That's a great sentiment. And I'm sure my husband Chris and I told our children the same thing. But in adults, it kind of leads to a sense of confusion, being and doing. Being is a state of existence that's tied to your identity. So much so that without doing any kind of activity, no action at all, you still are a child of God. Being is your identity. Doing is what you strive to achieve. But later in life, we, we tend to get them confused. And you can see this happen when uh, perhaps a student in school, they get poor grades and they're struggling and they start to think poorly of themselves because of the grades and they might not be doing well but it doesn't change their identity or maybe an athlete that for whatever reason no longer is able to compete or perform in their sport and yet it doesn't change who they are all of us probably know someone who struggled in retirement often because that person has confused being and doing. They thought what they did was who they were. And so when they retire and no longer do this, they start to wonder who they are. What is their identity? Our identity has already been established and nothing that we do or don't do, no matter what anybody else tells us, our identity is given to us by God as God's creation, as God's children. It's important for us to, to really study that, embrace it, so that we can view others as children of God. Many of you might remember a, a terrible, tragic situation of mistaken identity that took place in an already tragic situation several years ago. It took place on April 26, 2006, when a van full of students and faculty from Indiana's Taylor University was hit by a semi-truck. And it was a terrible wreck. And immediately after the wreck, there were five who were, who were killed immediately. And in the van that had been traveling that day, there were two young women who just happened to look very much alike. They were Laura Van Ryn and Whitney Sirak. Both had long blonde hair, both had bright blue eyes, and they were very similar in height and weight and body shape. And, and so Laura tragically died immediately in the wreck and Whitney's body was thrown clear of the wreckage. But somehow, Laura's purse with her identification ended up next to Whitney. And so when the paramedics 
took Whitney to the hospital. They scooped up the purse they thought was hers. And at the hospital, they mistakenly identified her as Laura Van Ryn. The Sirac fa family was contacted and told that their daughter had perished in the wreck and, and they were devastated. They had a funeral for their daughter and they continued to grieve. Meanwhile, the Van Ryn family was told that their daughter Laura had been seriously injured and was at the hospital. And the injuries were so devastating that her face was swollen and they wouldn't be able to recognize their own daughter. So they get to the hospital and, and this woman, they believe to be Laura, is in a coma. And they all gather around her and they're committed to staying with her and helping her in recovery. In fact, her older sister, Lisa Van Ryn, was there and she quit her job at the restaurant immediately so that she could stay round the clock with Laura. She stayed there by her bedside talking with her even though she was in a coma. And after a few days, Laura, the woman they thought was Laura, finally came out of this coma, but she wasn't able to speak in any way. And yet the family still was committed to her. Lisa stayed with her and attended all of her physical therapy sessions. And Lisa seemed to have kind of a knack at it. She understood what they were trying to accomplish and really helped her sister in therapy. After three weeks, three weeks after the accident, the Van Ryn family took Laura to a rehabilitation center near their home. And there, Lisa would wake up first thing in the morning so she could go to the center and spend the entire day with her sister. And she would accompany her to all of her therapy sessions. And again, the therapist there noticed that Lisa had a gift for it. Lisa just seemed to know exactly what was needed and she helped her sister in between therapy sessions. So much uh, so that all of the staff were talking about it and mentioned it to the rehabilitation center director who invited Lisa into his office and he asked her, you know, have you ever considered a career in physical therapy? And Lisa kind of laughed and she thanked him for the compliment but she said, no, that definitely wasn't her because she wasn't any good at science and never had been. And he still encouraged her to really consider it, but she kind of dismissed it and went on. Five weeks after the accident, Lisa was still there working with who she thought to be Laura. And she took Laura outside one, uh, one day and there was a fountain in the courtyard and she very gingerly took Laura's hand and placed it in the water. And she watched as this woman mouthed the word cold. And the therapist was there and they were all so excited at you know, the step forward and, and the therapist complimented Lisa on her ingenuity. And then she turned to Laura and she said, you must be very thankful for your sister. And this woman mouthed the words, thank you, Carly. And Lisa was understandably taken aback, but the therapist reassured her confusion was normal in, in this kind of situation. But when Lisa wheeled this woman back to her room, she sat across from her looking in her eyes and she said, what is your name? And Whitney clearly said, Whitney. 
And Lisa, not wanting to let go of that last shred of hope, she said, well, what are the names of your parents? And, and Whitney very quietly whispered the names of her parents, the Syrax. And Lisa reassured Whitney, and she got her settled in her room, and then she went to find her parents who were waiting in a different part of the center, and she told them Laura wasn't there. And they confessed that they had started to have suspicions of their own, and they just were afraid to face it until Lisa had said something. And so they told the authorities who made an official identification. It indeed was Whitney Sirak, and her family was notified that the daughter they thought was dead was alive, and they came, and they started to stay by her bedside and rejoice while the Van Ryn family went through all the emotions, and they had their funeral service, and they went into the grieving process. And through that all, this is a family of deep faith. Lisa was very unsettled. Now, she definitely was grieving, but she had this faith that she understood she would see her sister again, and yet it was something else, something inside. She felt she was called to do something, but she quit her job. And then she remembered the words of the director of the rehab center, and she followed up on them. And several months later, she was enrolled in a physical therapy program, and she sat in front of her advisor who asked her, how did you come to select this career? And so she told them the story of how she got to be there and what all had happened. And finally, at the end, she said she had realized that the joy she experienced helping in therapy had never changed, even though it wasn't her sister. And she realized she felt called to help other families' Laura's. Isn't that a beautiful statement for a family of faith? We were created to help other families' Laura's. We are children of God created to help other children of God. And second... God has proclaimed us to be very good. Now, if you remember, in the first chapter of Genesis, the creation story is this bigger than life. It's the spectrum of all creation. And every day, at the end of the day, God saw that what was created and declared it to be good. On the sixth day, after everything else was created... God created humankind, and at the end of the day, God proclaimed, behold, it was very good. Now, the words very good don't accurately capture the meaning that's embedded within the original Hebrew text. When we think of something being very good, it's our assessment of something. Well, that looks nice. That's very good. But that's not what's happening here. When God is proclaiming it to be good, remember how chapter 1 of Genesis rolls out. It's the word of God, it's the spoken word of God that brings creation into existence. God said, let there be light, and there was light. And so at the end of each day, God saw that it was good and that there's creative power in that God declared that day's creation to be good. 
On the final day, God looked at all of creation, including humanity, and declared it to be very good. It's not just a reflection, oh, that's good day's work. No, it's, it's God's creative word speaking it into reality. And so humanity is inherently good because God designed us that way. And even the word very um, is hard to get a handle on because we tend to uh, use it as kind of a plus mark in front of whatever word we attach to it. It's not just good, it's very good. But that word for very really is a word that's full of action, that it's energized. It's not just good, it's a good that's taken on energy and power. And so when you read that, for, uh, that part of your Bible, it might be helpful to write in the margins where it says very good, what it's saying that God proclaimed it to be inherently and powerfully good. Now, there's no magical power to that. Um, I think it's referring to when we live as children of God, we uh, find this goodness that God has embedded within us. I know that probably you are like myself when somebody says, well, God says you're good. When I think of that, I start going to my mental list of things to prove God wrong, uh, the things I've done, the things I should have done. First of all, don't argue with God. God's already proclaimed it. But second, this is not about what you're doing or what you haven't done. This is God from the very beginning of creation, creating humanity to be the image of God. We are powerfully and inherently good because of our identity as children of God. We are in the image of God. And when we will kind of accept that, there is something to be gained from it. Again, not magical, but you know that place in life when you kind of get in the groove, you're in the zone, whatever you're doing, you hit that sweet spot. That's what everything comes easier and more natural. And, and that's the way we're called to live so that we know we're children of God and it's so easy to treat others the same way. In the book by Henry Winkler, he credits Dolly Parton for starting his directorial career. She was the one who selected him to direct her television movie, Smoky Mountain Christmas. And I wouldn't naturally put Dolly Parton and Henry Winkler together. It seems like an odd match. But he goes on and on about how impressed he is of her how incredibly talented and professional she is, what a, an astute businesswoman she is, and especially how kind and compassionate she is. And it's true, she really is all of those things. She is very well respected. Although, if you think of all the 60 years, more than 60, that she's been in the industry, it seems like only the past several years she's really gained a mainstream respect for who she is and her work um, for many, many years. She was always kind of uh, made fun of, and she joined right in. She could take it, and she made fun of herself. But somewhere behind all the wigs and the sequins and all the makeup, she's always known who she is. 
I love it that about a year or so ago, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame nominated her to be a part of their Hall of Fame. And very graciously, she turned them down because she didn't feel like she had earned it like others. And they very graciously did not accept her, uh, her turning them down. And uh, she was still in the class. And so she thought, well, if I'm going to be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, I'm going to do a rock album. And at 77, she released the album Rockstar. And uh, it's a collaboration. There are many songs. And she's done all these collaborations with famous rock stars. And she named it Rockstar as kind of a tongue-in-cheek joke that, yeah, I'm a rock star. But I love that about her. She really does have a strength. And I think it goes all the way back to her, her parents, her family. She was raised in a small cabin in the Smoky Mountains uh, in a household not just full of music, but one of deep, deep faith. From as early as she could remember, she knew God, and she knew that she was a child of God. In fact, there was one occasion when she came home from school where kids had made fun of her clothing, and she came home crying, and her mother didn't allow her to feel bad for herself. Uh, she didn't allow her to think poorly of herself. In fact, her mother sat her down and she said, don't you ever think that we're poor. Don't ever say that we're poor because we're not. We might not have the material stuff that other people do, but we're not poor. Wealth is not measured by the dollar. And I think that sentiment took root in her life that she was more than the things out external to her. She was more than what people thought of her appearance. She was more than what she was good at, what she wasn't good at. She was more than material belongings, whether she had them or she didn't. Deep inside, she's always drawn strength from the fact that she's Dolly Parton. And if you look at her interviews, she's just, you can see that strength. She knows that whatever's said about her, whatever they say about her song, she knows who she is. And that confidence has been a source that gives energy to what she's able to accomplish, not just in her career, but the way she's able to treat others. She's given away millions of dollars to help others. One of the charities that she's a part of that she helped to start is Imagination Library. Now, it's a reading program to distribute new books to children in need. And she started it with her father because her father had never learned how to read. And he was always ashamed of that. And so she wanted him to be a part of it. And she encouraged him not to be ashamed. She reminded him he had grown up in a family of 15 children. And of course, he had to leave school early to help provide. And she said, you know, there are probably millions of people around the world who aren't able to read or write because they never had the opportunity. And instead of feeling ashamed, let's do something special. And so she and her father created Imagination Library with the intent to provide free books to children in their home county of Tennessee. It was so successful, it grew beyond that and grew to the entire state of Tennessee. 
to the entire US, and now it's across the world. There are programs all around the world, and it, uh, Imagination Library has distributed over 200 million new books to children. In fact, here in the United States, one out of every 10 children have received a book from Imagination Library. She came from humble beginnings. She herself has never had children. And yet, from her early days, she knew that she was a child of God, called to help other children of God, and she has made a difference in so many lives. Third, God breathed life into us. Now, I love this passage from the second chapter. It may have been confusing to read both the first and second chapters. There are two, these creation stories where God first creates the universe. And so you have this God of the cosmos. And then moving into the second chapter of Genesis, the focus is on the creation of mankind, where the God of the cosmos scoops down the dust from the earth and molds and creates humanity. And then breathes the breath of life into them. Now think about what that's saying, that this God who created everything wants this intimate and personal relationship with humankind. It's a beautifully poetic thing for us to remember. We won't always be confident in our identity. We will find times that we all struggle. That's normal. And I find it helpful if we go back to this passage and remember that when we breathe in, we're breathing in the breath of God. We're filled with the breath of God that gives us life. And so when you struggle, maybe it's struggles with others that they have ridiculed you, they have tormented you, they've said unkind things, breathe in and be reminded that you are a creation of God, breathing in the breath of God to give you life. But even amidst our struggles, I think maybe the most important thing is to always remember that everyone we meet is also a child of God. And sometimes we'll struggle with that. And when we do, breathe in. And remember that the very air that fills our lungs fills theirs as well. And that as we breathe in as a creation of God, that they are a creation of God as well. And we are a child of God and they are a child of God. Each day when you breathe in, remember who you are so that you can treat others according to who they are. In Henry Winkler's book, he talks about this ongoing struggle and yet... Incredibly, he's able to find a way to treat others as children of God. He does have a deep faith, and he wrote in a, an article for Guidepost magazine that he always feels closest to God when he's in worship at the synagogue. But he's always questioned what he is able to accomplish in life, and especially in his early years when he was doing the sitcom Happy Days, here he was, a classically trained actor. He was being the Fonz. 
And he wondered what kind of difference did that ever make. He always wanted to follow the will of God. And so even though he struggled with who he thought he was, he continued to put himself out there and be present for the needs of others. Several years ago, he wrote that he was the chairperson of the Special Arts Festival for Los Angeles. And basically, it's kind of the Special Olympics for arts, that differently abled children are able to come and participate in different forms of artwork and theater and music. And it's always an exuberant event, lots of noise, because so many children are there and their families. And he was walking through the crowd and all this noise. And above it all, he heard this very quiet voice say, Fonzie. And he turned and he saw this, this little girl and she looked to be about five years old. So he knelt down and he started talking with her and she didn't say anything back and that was it. And so he stood back up, looked at the mother and you know, thought her daughter was shy and the mother had tears in her eyes. And then she let her daughter off and Henry continued on to greet others. A few weeks after that event, he received a letter in the mail and it was from the mother of this girl. She said that her five-year-old daughter, Claire, had autism. And she said in all of her five years of life, she had never spoken a word until she said Fonzie. And so here, Henry Winkler is realizing what can happen if you're just present for others, if you'll give yourself in ways that will be kind to one another. A year later, the festival rolls around, the Special Arts Festival, and Claire is there, and Fonzie is so excited to see her, and she very distinctly says, hi, Fonzie, and he gives her a big hug, and then she starts tugging on his hand, and she points to the little girl beside her, and she said, hug my sister. And Claire's mother was there with different kind of tears in her eyes, and she told Henry, that her daughter Claire now has a vocabulary of over 50 words and her world has just opened up. Now that happened because this little girl identified with the character of Fonzie, but actually because Henry Winkler showed up. If we will show up for others, God can do amazing things with that. And when we will live as the people we were created to be, there is a even more powerful energy that's present. Don't ever forget, you are children of God, created by God to love and minister to the needs of other children of God. It's in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let each of us lift up our own silent prayers. Amen. 
You've been listening to the sermon podcast of St. Luke's Methodist Church in Oklahoma City. We are one church with multiple campuses. Learn all about St. Luke's different services and programs on our website, stlukesokc.org. We trust you will experience God's love and hope throughout this week.